Hey everyone, Tom here, Alf Metallica, back with yet another episode of the show. This is actually the first thing I've recorded after the end, technically, quote-unquote, end of the show. Uh, the, the you know, first thing I've done after the Alf Metallica retrospective as well. Go check that out where I'm going solo, almost into two hours, uh, going through 93-plus hours of Alf Metallica content. And, um, yeah, this is the start of a new era, to a certain extent, where it's just us plowing into various furrows of interest. We've got more time to make more notes, to do more research. And, uh, yeah, today I'm very excited to get into the episode. Just before we do, just before we get to the guest as well, follow us at MetallicaPod. Get in touch with me, MetallicaPod at gmail.com on the email. If you want to come on the show, you want to discuss something like this, you want to discuss a show or a member of the band or a facet of the history or, or whatever, you just want to correspond. Patreon and iTunes are there as well. If you enjoy Alf Metallica, you want to give back to Alf Metallica, you can support me on Patreon. Uh, episodes like this will go on there first. You get access uh, directly to your phone to an RSS feed. Download them straight there. iTunes as well. Uh, leave us a review. Go check out what people have been saying about the show as well, critically. Uh, you know, go on to the Twitter, as I say. Go on to all the various platforms. We're on Spotify. We're on YouTube. We're on Stitcher. And all these things that are out there. Or wherever they can listen to it. Alpha Talica will be there. You know, I'm feeling in a, a retrospective mood, you know. I'm wanting to get people on the show that I love having on the show. And I'm pretty sure my guest today is the most grizzled of the veterans. This will actually be his seventh appearance. In the past, we've discussed Bad Seed, All Within My Hands, the Moscow 91 concert, the MTV Icon show, The More I See, The Shortest Straw. And today we are talking about Metallica's first ever recorded, you know, their first ever release. This is, of course, the legendary Metal Blade, Metal Massacre series, Metal Massacre 1, 1982's Metal Massacre 1. Dave has How's it going, man? It's going good, man. Really excited for this. Like, there was no one else I could think of. Because, you know, today, guys, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about the history of this imprint. But just go through it. You know, me and Dave, for the past couple of weeks, have been listening to, you know, these 10 songs. There's a few pressings that we'll get into as well. It's all that sort of high-octane, throwback, guitar-led, dynamic sort of... You know, I know a lot of people decry this sort of music, Dave, but... Some of these are terrible, though. Oh, some of these songs are awful. Do not get me wrong. Some of these songs are absolutely abysmal. But this sort of stuff, like, you know, I love Dokken. I, I love Van Halen and David Lee Roth and, and Vane and Striper and Bullet Boys. And uh, Guns N' Roses aren't, Guns N' Roses were kind of the antithesis of this. But they definitely embody a lot of this hair metal glam idea. Because this was trying, you know, this was trying to be the vanguard of LA metal. But, of course, it was very much indebted to this sort of music. And it's not just straight ahead fresh. And you, you are my go-to guy, Dave. I feel we're a bit kindred spirits in that sense. I like a bit of thrash. It's a bit of me, that. There's nothing mm-hmm. fancy, but if it wants to be, it can be. But other than that, it's what, it's what it is. It doesn't differentiate. It doesn't stray from the path. It takes you where you're going, and it does it in the way you're going to expect. It's lovely. Thrash is underappreciated, too. You think so? Like, just as a music style, when you look at the metal albums that came out this year, like the chorus riffs on the new Slotin album, they're very thrash. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like, they're, yeah, they're yeah, coming yeah. back again. They're very, just that, that sound, that crunch in the I love it, man. That's the only reason to listen for me. It's a very positive adjective, isn't it? Like, if you say something's glammy... Uh, you know, or, or indie-ish or whatever. I don't really know the correct term there. Like, it might turn some people off, but if you say something's flashy, it, it only means good stuff. Yeah, although when you look at the glam side of it, people do kind of look at it weirdly. 
but I don't mm. get it. Because bands like Motley Crue are essentially the same thing. They are, aren't they? I don't like, and people take such offense at the hair metal term they think it's so derogatory i mean it's just it's just an attribute isn't it it's just a useful uh, designator more than anything well it's like black metal it's just a word used to describe it or mm-hmm. heavy metal it's just hair is how you describe it because if you say metal people go what kind you go all oh, the ones with the hair and they go all oh, hair metal you're like yeah that's yeah. it's just what it is people look too much into descriptions Sometimes you just say a word that's easier. So, yeah, and I mean, we're going to learn later on in this episode about the importance of accurate descriptions because Metallica was spelt wrong on on, on the first release. uh, And uh, Ron McGovney was actually spelt wrong as well. I was looking at the back. It's like... It's like Ron McGovna or something. They really <laughs> fucked it up on there. But, you know, we're, we're going to get to that. And, you know, people may be questioning why we're even covering this. So if you don't know, I'm sure a lot of people will know as well. You dear Alpha Talica listeners very knowledgeable out there. But this was Metallica's first ever release. Um, this was, you know, let, let's get into the history of Metal Massacre. This Hit the Lights was on here. Um, it's actually track 10 at the end. So we're going to go through. I'm going to do a little bit of an intro down, kind of the idea of Metal Massacre and where it comes from. Um, and then we're going to go through the songs themselves. We're going to review all of the songs, you know, stuff from uh, Demon Flight to Pandemonium to Bitch to Malice to <laughs> Rat. You know? <laughs> bitch, yeah, bitch. And I actually really... Uh, look, we're, we're going to get to that. We're going to get to that. I'm sitting yeah. in the van that didn't work. My mate goes, fuck you, listen to it. I was like, listen to Live for the Whip by Bitch. He was like, get it off. Get it off now. <laughs> I was all right. <laughs> oh, my God. Live for the Whip. So, you know, in terms of us understanding this as a movement, we've got to think of the idea of a compilation. And, you know, multi-artist compilation albums really were a staple of the early 80s underground metal scene. You know, whenever you would root through the import bins at a local store, you were bound to come across one of these kind of low-budget collections of mysterious, unknown bands, you know, that were usually wrapped in eye-catching sleeves, festooned with skulls and Grim Reaper. And, you know, Dave, I've been going through, I've been trying to find as many examples alongside Metal Massacre that exist. There's so many i mean there's um axe attack uh live and heavy heavy there's axe attack 2 there's metal for breakfast uh from the uk there is kerrang compilations i don't need to tell you that it's kk there but in terms of our story one of the ones that's really really important really pivotal that i i've got to be honest never really heard of uh metal for mothers are you familiar with this no I'd be very impressed if you were. You know, this was uh, based in the UK and this was released in February 1980. This was a direct influence on Brian Slagle. So, this was all (laughs) new wave of British heavy metal and this was, you know, overseen by Neil Kay over at EMI. It was essentially, uh, it's famous for many reasons, partly for being the earliest recorded material by Iron Maiden, which is really, really cool. And it actually reached number 12 in the British album charts and became the basis of this tour. I know, mad, right? Became the basis of this tour uh, where all the bands would sort of go out together and became entwined with Sanctuary Records as well. There was a similar compilation. But yeah, so basically on there, um, Maiden opened it up with Sanctuary. We also had bands like, um, you know, so many... This is what I love about this sort of compilation music as well. So many of these bands, you're like, who the fuck are these bands? They have no history anymore. Bands like Ethel the Frog were on there 
there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but uh, Samson, though, who who are still quite popular. Um, interestingly, as well, the fourth track on this Metal for Mothers, which has an awesome album cover, by the way. People go search this out. It's basically like a metal robot, um, very much in a kind of sci-fi, those dime store kind of paperback novel covers. It's this kind yeah. of medieval robot with a guitar slung on its back, and it's on like a robotic horse, but it's quite well realised. Um, there's also a band on here, the fourth track, Blues in A, by a band called Toad the Wet Sprocket, who ha- had no relation to the later uh, American alternative rock band um, that were called the same thing, although they're both based on the Monty Python sketch. So basically, Metal for Mothers existed, and you know we know that all the guys looked to uh, Blighty. Uh, they looked to the new wave of British heavy metal as a giant influence. So at the time, Brian Slagle, you know, the famous Brian Slagle, was running his own heavy metal fanzine, which is called the New Metal Heavy Review. And this is something he would print and sell at local concerts. And he was always looking, you know, at the bands featured in the pages of this publication and wondering why, you know, emerging metal acts from LA couldn't be showcased. Wondering why they couldn't do their own form of metal for mothers. And another key figure in this story is a guy called John Cornerance. There's actually quite a few cool interviews on YouTube. He's been on a few sort of lower tier metal podcasts uh, talking about his history. So he's done a lot of interviews on this. He worked on a new metal review as well. And he was saying that six issues into the fanzine, Brian said to him, why don't we do our own metal for mothers? And that was kind of the start of the idea of doing a metal massacre. Uh, Slagle would say that there was no real handbook out there on how to do it so he thought that the most logical idea was to contact various importers uh, with whom he was already ordering stock so one was Green World in LA there was also one called Important in New York that would eventually become Red Distribution and you know he asked them if they would distribute a compilation of up and coming metal bands from LA and they were down but of course you know that's one step but they had no real money to produce it and it was Brian's responsibility to come up with around $2,500 and he would sell stuff at Sears he worked on commission apparently an aunt lent him a lot of money as well and um it was kind of a it was you know it was kind of a deal for you deal for me sort of thing they couldn't record anyone they didn't have that capacity it was purely about distributing people out but the idea was that if you could bring a demo to him he could get it on this tape and I mean Dave the 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 legacy of the metal compilation it cannot be understated right it's as diy as you're ever going to get in the metal scene it's literally exactly. record it in a garage in a room in a school sometimes on cassette mate take yeah. it to someone he puts on another one and that's you it's essentially the buffet of the music world <laughs> you're, you're going it's cheap it probably looks yep. a bit nasty than you want it to but my god do you get your five first works mate yeah <laughs> You definitely do. You definitely do. And yeah, it's like, yeah, completely, yeah, very punk. You know, there the, the really were no independent labels of any kind putting out this sort of music, certainly in LA or that area. So there were a few meetings around. Basically, Brian and John sort of halved and halved it to get bands involved. Um, you know, these are bands that we're going to get into. There was a band from Ventura. I think they're called Kirif Ungle. I think that's how you pronounce it, or Sirif Ungle. Um, they've been around since the early 70s yeah and and they said okay interestingly apparently Motley Crue was going to be on Metal Massacre but they dropped out of the last minute because they were signed uh, to a label and you know we're going to get to this later where there are multiple pressings of Metal Massacre where that happens where Rat was on it originally and bands like Steeler and then then, um, John Corner and sister was in probably the most obscure band on the the record a band called Avatar 
um, who do an instrumental called Octave that I actually quite like. I mean, we'll, we'll get to that instrumental. I think that's actually quite good. So there was no real shortage of interest for people getting involved. And... Um, that's essentially what happened. Uh, you know, um, they reached out to these bands, got them involved. Um, we'll get to the sort of Metallica story when we get to hit the lights at the end. But, um, I mean, it's fascinating, isn't it, how this would come together. And obviously it is vital because this is Metallica's birth in many ways. The release of this would lead to, you know, them getting a little bit of hype and them having their first live performance on March 14th of 1982. That was in Anaheim, California, Ron McGovney. But um, just, just thinking about this, it's such an innocent time, isn't it? For me, it was like a complete eye-opener just to think mm. that Rat and Metallica were starting at the same time and looking yeah. at their parallels and just their coexistence in the music world. I'm like, mm-hmm. Rat are kind of like heavy, still kicking in gear sometimes. Like when you look at them in the later shows and you're like, you know what, that's mad, that. Because yeah. Rat yeah, aren't yeah. banned out with pictures being in it for like the long haul or still going or being around that long. Because in my head, Rat's still popping. Like that's what I mean. Don't forget that. Like yeah, got some bops, man. Mm -hmm, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, weirdly as well, Rat have two T's in their name. Metallica erroneously had two T's in their name, so that furthers the parallels in some sort of uh, illogical dissonance there. But um, so this came out in 1982. Uh, the first pressing was released on Metal Blade Records. That was MBR 1001. And the second pressing was on Metal Works Records. This is both in 1982. And um, on the first edition, uh, we had Steeler's Cold Day in Hell. So let's get into it then, Dave. Um, Steeler, first of all, Cold Day in Hell. Make of this song, fucking shite, absolutely yeah. abysmal. And I was being polite when I wrote my notes. I wrote this song exists. Yeah, I didn't know what to make of it, and I didn't want to be harsh, but I gave it a good mm-hmm. few lessons, and I couldn't. There's a couple of times I genuinely just skipped it. I was like, I'm, I don't want to be. Yeah. Rude, but... Plus, when you got left for the whip, following it, I mean, true. It doesn't true, really matter true. what it is that starts it because I genuinely mm. like Live for the whip. <laughs> well, um, you know, one of the things that I want to do, um, just to put it in a bit more context, is um, how many streams are these bands getting now? Like, I know these are old oh. bands and it doesn't really kind of... But there's a few surprises here. Steeler, not surprising. Uh, Steeler getting 3.8 thousand monthly streams, which still isn't bad. But, you know, this very much reminds me of the music you hear in the background all the time of one of my all-time favorite films. A film I don't think we've discussed, Dave, but I'm sure you would enjoy it as well. Uh, Mickey Rourke's The Wrestler. The Wrestler is a fantastic movie, and yeah, mm-hmm. that would go there. It would be some background 
crap for it's, your finger yeah. in the back of the van when he wakes up. That's it. It's just it's all oh, about oh. the pe- it's all about the pedal point. It's it's not it's not really a thrashy chug in a kind of Hetfield like pumping on that E string. It kind of has a bit more of a languid pace. It will resolve into a bent note or two. But yeah, this is a really forgettable <laughs> song uh, that Maybe. opens the first pressing. Back then, though, like we're kind of spoiled for choice now. Looking True. back at what's been done musically, maybe back mm-hmm. then, though, that was like, whoa. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, God, this is yeah, yeah, this is really kind of turning a corner. But but here, not so kinda... much. We're post every. We're yeah. post justice for all. Like, yeah, yeah, you're right. You are right. You are right. But Steeler, look, they've not stood the test of time. Um, Cold Day in Hell does not do anything for me. Really, there's some falsetto vocals. But I don't know if you knew this. I didn't realize this either. But Steeler's kind of claim to fame is that they were the first U.S. band that Ingve Malmsteen, when he was 19, he joined them from Sweden. Yes, that was the only thing I knew about them prior to this. Yeah. And it's still yeah. the only thing I know about them both. <laughs> so, uh, but this is before Ingve. I said stress. Uh, you know, this was when, yeah, yeah, Cold Dane Hell. This is Oivy, not Ingve. Oivy. Oivy This is distressing, mate. <laughs> now, um, so there have been multiple pressings, and I tried to listen to all the variations. Have you heard what became the intro song on the second and third pressings uh, that replaced Steeler? This was Chains Around Heaven by Black and Blue. Black and Blue, yeah. Yeah. Strangely, I gave the third pressing the most listens, I think. Okay, okay. I think Chains Around Heaven, I mean, I can see why they put it there, but still, Lift of the Whips, straight after it, man. (laughs) We'll get to Lift of the Whips. I I don't mind Chains Around Heaven. Standard chunky riff reminds me a little bit of Cold Sweet by Finn Lizzy, and it's chains around hell. You know, it's just got that big hey, chorus. You got your problems, show. I've got them too. So yeah, you, you, it's the Lizzy thing, right? But so many That's... riffs sound like that, um, and it just kind of it is this big stadium kind of empty fuzz to it. You know, Black and Blue, by the way, uh, are quite a known band from this era, not least because the guy that plays lead guitar, Tommy Fayer, is now an official member of KISS. He's like, he's like the guy in the makeup, yeah? Yeah. 
which is which is crazy that he would go from this to this. I think um, Gene Simmons actually produced two of their albums in the 80s. I believe that's how they met. And then um, Faye would work on uh, Kistery in the 90s and then sort of become part of the band and this and that. But um, yeah, this again, I don't mind. It reminds me a lot of um, the song The Hunter uh, by Dokken, which is one of, one of their biggest singles. But it's just kind of like so much of this music you, you you know you can just go onto autopilot and it just sounds like so much else of this music it's just a bit like you know kind of the last real and this is so sad for me to say but this just shows you kind of my generation personally rather rather than yours dave but you know when i was a teen the last kind of musical movement happened in england in my eyes which i'm not saying it's a good movement but that kind of that landfill indie movement like do you remember when kaiser chiefs and franz ferdinand and Razorlight and all those bands were huge hard fire and them man hard fire exactly hard pigeon detectives I've and, got and all oh. adidas on my feet and i've got combat trousers on and i stink of armani blue Right, right. That's what that music says to me, because that's what it was at the time. Everyone had that stupid haircut, remember? Yeah. Oh, I'm, yeah. Oh, yeah. The ordinary I guitar. boys and... Yeah, yeah, yeah. What I mean, guitar the, the, play? Like a red one. There were a few bands that sort of climbed out the bucket. Like, I, always, I, I still like the Cribs and, you know, certain Arctic Monkeys things. I don't think they're the greatest band ever that people seem to think they are. The Editors. Editors, yeah. Editors. Are, yeah, them. I mean, yeah. Yeah, there's still, you know, there's still quite a few cool bands knocking about in there. But, um, you know, I remember the Future Heads as well. God, I don't, they're just leaping out of me out of nowhere. But, yeah, they, they, they had a little moment. In Actually, funnily enough, I when I saw the when I saw Foo Fighters on the In Your Honor tour in 2005 in Birmingham, uh, Future Heads were the main support. And uh, they're all right from what I can hazily recall. But the point I'm trying to make is, and you can yeah. apply this to any, to any genre, really. Like, you know, I, I personally detest all this kind of uh, mumble rap that's dominating and the kind of... Yeah, this kind of Post Malone yeah. bullshit, whatever. You know, but 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 you, you could say it about any genre. And you can certainly say it about this sort of stuff where it just becomes kind of noise. It just becomes... You know, I say it's about Kirk Hammett's guitar solos. It just becomes a sound where a baby's just slamming its fist on the on the ipad and certain noises are coming out and it's kind of like yeah that is it and this kind of happens with chains around heaven uh, which is on the second pressing by black and blue and this happens with a lot of the songs on here but dave we've been building up to this and building up to this live for the whip by bitch talk to me about this song <laughs> For me, this is the star of the compilation, even though this is 
we know why we're here. We're here for headlights, but Left for the mm-hmm, Weft mm-hmm. is the real star. This is the invincible star to complete the course for me. Yeah. It kept me going listening to this compilation. This is one of the longer songs on here, and bitch for people who aren't aware, they were fronted, uh, you know, heavy metal band, they were female fronted by Betsy Bitch. And uh, they were formed in December 1980 in L.A. They gained a lot of notoriety because they were, you know, had a lot of influence from Alice Cooper and did a lot of sort of theatrical live performances. Funnily enough, they're actually the first band uh, signed to Metal Blade. And I think Brian Slager was like a really big fan of them, was really pushing them. And he got them involved on the Metal Massacre thing. And um, the intro to this song is awesome like it's got a real cool open string thing going on um a lot of energy sort of channeling through it and then when we get to betsy singing the tempo shifts doesn't it it becomes a little bit more push pull a bit more lethargic i suppose resolving from the heavier movement that intros it thought it was very sludgy Mm. reminiscent of some uh, crowbar outros it's just got that little it's not too slow but it's slow enough to make you listen to it you're like oh what's this yeah, yeah, like yeah. That. I mean, we, the rhyming's a little bit uh, preschool, jaded, uh, dated, subjugated, all those times you were hated. Now I'm feeling sedated and, you know, um, but, the, you know, there's moments when she like she shouts live for the whip and it kicks into the riff. And there's yeah. some overlapping guitar solos and stuff like that. And you go through the song. And you're thinking, okay, you know, they're called bitch, they're female fronted, but they're not, you know, there's a lot of guitar in this. They're not putting the sexuality too much out there. But the song does end, it is the 80s, Dave. It ends with a long, throaty moan for good measure. Yeah, I mean, how else would you end that? True, true. I mean, it's called bitch. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. Metal compilation, dueling Mm -hmm. solos, screaming. That's how you end that. That's what you want. I mean, Bitch as well, this is a band that just kind of went by the uh, the way by, really. They haven't really gone. Monthly listeners, Dave, on Spotify, 973. Oof. You know what's so, weird is they once shared a bill with Wasp and Slayer. Really? With Slayer? Yeah. Fuck. Just one album, Be My Slave, which is, which is Betsy, you know, in chains on the front. And, um, you know, just a song called World War Two on there and make it real in brackets. Make it rock. But make, of course it rock. The song, <laughs> make it real. Make it rock. But the song we're here for is Live for the Whip, which, you know, it's almost six minutes. It, it, it outstays its welcome for me personally. I, I liked it because it was different for me than bad. I was expecting, especially after initially listening to Steeler before Black and Blue. So I was I was gasping for I was ready to live for the whip. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The whip mm-hmm. was. Con- I was. I liked it. I thought the only comparison I could make is it reminded me a bit of maybe from my younger generation. There's a band called K. They had one big album, mm-hmm. one big song. They popped. They had a song called Brackish. They were like a female new metal band, and they had one big tour, one big album, and they were mm-hmm. everywhere. And then all of a sudden, they died down. Never heard of them again. Okay, okay. I mean, yeah, that, that's the story of Metal Massacre. Like, there's so many mm. of these bands that have, you know, some of them have uh, risen above the parapet and tour continually. Now, um, there's interestingly, there is one band on Metal Massacre that is featured twice, and that is the band Malice. Uh, and the first song I'm going to talk about now is the third track on Metal Massacre, which is Captive of Light.
you make of Captive of Light from Malice? I enjoyed it a bit more than I thought I was going to as well, because mm-hmm, I'd previously mm-hmm. heard it. I'd been familiar with bits of the compilation before, just from having yeah. it, and you download it when you're younger, and sure, sure. you're all nostalgic, but I enjoyed it as I listened to it later. They're very European-sounding, though. Yes, yeah. Which I didn't expect. Like, I thought, like, you know, Ellie Metal, they're very Sheffield. I thought they, they you'd have lifted them from England. Yeah, the, but, the vocalist got a lot of Bruce Dickinson to me, like a lot of that warble, like. Yeah, like he's there for the power vocals. He wants you to know, and yeah. I enjoyed it. Yeah, yeah, drums, yeah it's good. I'll be honest, are probably the best drums on the album for me. Best sounding, I quite like them. Mm-hmm. They sound mm-hmm. all shitty and like metal grungy. I like them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It thrusts in with some big rolls, bam, and now, and now, bam, bam, but down, now, like it asserts itself. It's got, it's got a slowness, but a grace. It's got a understated, authoritative nature to it that that is is pretty enjoyable. The vocals, you know, are going to be hit and miss for uh, listeners. Um, you know, he is kind of uh, James Neal. His name was. And, you know, he's clearly heavily influenced by the European singing style. And I think he got a lot of comparisons to Rob Halford. And he does have that sort of way. And um, the guitar duo as well uh, got a lot of comparisons to um, Tipton and Downing. Um, Jay Reynolds is called one of their guitar players. Apparently he was a dead ringer for... um, uh, K.K. Downing as well. But yeah, Captive Lloyd, and we'll get to Kick You Down, which is later on. And um, funnily enough, Malice made their L.A. Live debut in November 82, so later in the year after this is released at the Troubadour. And Metallica were the opening act, along with Pandemonium, who are another band that we're going to get to. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, ultimately maybe a little lacklustre. Um, and I've got in my notes here, I don't know if I agree with this in hindsight, feels a little long, even though it's 3 minutes 21. But, um, you know, I can't fault the power of this track. And I think, you know, we're three... Okay, we're four songs in because there's multiple pressings. But we're three songs into the original pressing. Um, you know, Slagle and John Cornans, I think they've, they've done their work here. Like, this is a pretty exciting example of early 80s LA metal. I enjoyed it. I started digging. I was listening to more Malice. Their like their sophomore album, Licensed Killed, Dave Mustaine and Dave Ellison do uh backing vocals on it. Really? Yeah, there's some That's little cool. tidbits out there and then I was like, I have to dig. No. I, I might not listen to them forever, but for the next few months there's a couple of new songs in the rotation and that's what I'm looking cool. for at this point in life. Yeah, yeah, exactly. No, no, we no. Have a longer that. shuffle. Yeah, yeah, that is uh, that is some research game now. I respect that. So, uh, so yeah, that's Malice uh, with Captive of Light. So we get to the fourth song now, uh, Tell the World. Now, this is only on the first and second pressings. It's actually taken off later pressings because Rat got huge. <laughs>
We're talking about Rat now. Now, Rat are, um, you know, they are kind of a joke band, I think, sometimes, if people just kind of rag on glam or whatever. But Rat, Dave, monthly on Spotify, 920,000 streams. I know a load of Greek glasses that are heavy into Rat and Bon Jovi still. Like, and they bang it heavy, like it's the gospel, and I salute them with everything I have, mate. If someone came up to you and said, like, low, like, honest to God, Rat are my favourite band, I would respect that. Like, because yeah. I think Rat are one of those good... Um, round and Round, I think, is their big single that I know. But, you know, Rat still tour, and I, I like this song, Tell the World. I, th- I think this is pretty good track. I think this is what Status Quo wanted to sound like before they started copying ELO. <laughs> And if they had them, I'd have loved them because they've got that dual guitar strut. Like the riffs are chugging. Everyone's got, dude. I still like it now. Like I had it on, mm-hmm. and I was like, yeah, I'm alright with this. I'll have a bit of this. Yeah, yeah. The tell the world. Yeah, yeah. The backing vocals and just every fucking '80s fresh LA metal riff sounds like this song. Like I would have played a clip to you guys. So I'm sure you've heard it already, but you know what I'm getting at. You know. We have that open string, as I mentioned before, that's not really chugged. It's just plucked fast, and it will resolve into a bend or something. But, you know, the, the, it reminds me a little bit of Looks That Kill by Motley Crue. But, you know, so many of these riffs sound very, very similar. Some of the lead playing in it, it very you know, attacking off each other, is really, really good. But um, just in terms of Rat as well. So, you know, Rat obviously formed in the 80s. They've got multiple albums that have been certified platinum and multi-platinum. Most people known him from round and round and lay it down uh, wanted man's apparently one of their big songs as well you're in love i mean i'm sort of shrugging here but rats still tour rats last album dave infestation 2010 yeah they have a the new breed for the tour too and like 2018 started as well yeah mate yeah. they're banging rats Right around there. And uh, they, you know, they were the only band before we, you know, when we agreed to this episode a few weeks ago and just sort of making notes of stuff, they were the only one of, I think, like most people that I was like, oh shit, rat, you know, whereas everyone else, you're like, who the fuck is, you know, <laughs> bitch or whatever? Yeah. You know, obviously, I'm <laughs> What's now, this shit? It, it is cool nonetheless, like we said earlier, that, um, you know, these two compadres, and I'm sure, I'm not going to say if Hetfield caught the fucking lead singer or rat backstage, they'd reminisce of a metal massacre and stuff, but the fact they rub shoulders in this adolescent period, you know, there's something quite cool about that for me it's it's there was a big eye opener like i said and my favorite mm, mm. tip that i learned about rat is that their origins come from a band called the crystal pistol which is fucking phenomenal great name great name the crystal pistol it's just mm-hmm. great and mickey rat used to be called buster cherry buster cherry and he, he ran around with a dude called excalibur and phenomenon and they had a friend <laughs> called secrets they had a friend called secret service big man Rat, rat are a very weird band. Yo, look, I mean, Alphatalic is pretty much done right now. I don't know if I might start an alphabetical rap podcast. I don't know if <laughs> I'm just in that sort of mood right now, and I'm going to regret that. Like, I'm going to be like, holy you know, shit, these guys cannot write songs. Like, You know what you want to do, honestly? You want to do the, mm. a, to Z, the A to Z of thrash. That would be cool. That I would, oh, yeah, something like, like digging into something like this, like this just, like any sort of obscure stuff, like finding about like obscure graphic novels of the 80s or TV shows of the 70s that have barely been watched, like this is the sort of stuff that gets me going. So yeah, maybe something like that. And the reason you do it ultimately is on one side, yeah, just the trivia of it and sort of learning about, you know, Buster Cherry and stuff like that. That's great. But also when you hear something and you're like, yo, this is actually really fucking good. I actually really, really enjoy enjoy this and 
the first song I want to say that is legit, like, wow, this is right up my alley, is the fifth track, uh, which is the only instrumental on Metal Massacre. This is Octave by Avatar. Did expect an instrumental. Did mm-hmm. expect it straight after Rat. Fucking loved no. it. Played it to death. It was great. Yeah. And this is really good. How ballsy is it to be like, look, we're putting together a compilation called Metal Massacre. The best bands in the area submit your stuff. And I've got go, all right, here, have an instrumental. Have that. Mm-hmm. And it fucking mm-hmm. slaps as well, you know. It the really balls does. on that band. I think these are, you know the obscurest of the obscure you know there's a lot of bands on here that people are like who the hell are these bands but um as I said before uh avatar pretty sure the sister of john cornerns was in this band can't really find any information at all like one of the one of the best research sources that i found is uh, going on youtube and, and there's like a playlist of, of all of metal massacre of course and just people have commented on you know what they think of the track stuff like that and everyone's like who the hell are this but because there's quite a lot of bands called avatar out there um yeah you know, it's a pretty common name but no one seems to think that it's this avatar in particular and we start kind of like with bitch with kind of this open note thing coming into it but essentially the center point of it is it's really gnarly you know and we have this um quite proggy arpeggio thing going on which has a lot of vim and vigor and a lot of evil nature and i love the clatter of it there's a real wiry grifty guitar at the ankles it's an awesome song i mean look it's an instrumental, but it's it's not got the compositional rigor of, say, Metallica, for example. You know, this isn't Orion. This is very much two or three riffs with some long solo sections. It's not pensive. Um, it's not introspective. Nor is it. If you think about instrumentals, you think about LA metal scene. It's not mm. kind of like your, um, you know, your Racer X, your your George Lynch, your Cacophony. It's not. It's not shredtastic, really. Even though there's some really tasteful stuff on here. You know, there's a lot of tapping. There's a lot of kind of searing notes. Um, but uh, clearly, you know, I'm sure this has came across. But um, I really, really dig this song, Dave. I really think this is a cool instrumental. I enjoyed it. Uh, I think one of the ballsier parts of it too is it's not structured like an instrumental. It's not structured mm. like the the music is there to guide it. It sounds like the kind of tape you would put out to audition for a singer to show when your band can do it. Good point. That's a cool but point. Yeah, yeah. Definitely. It sure. doesn't need vocals on it. It does speak for itself though. It's, I love it, mate. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Me too. I couldn't and, be happier um... finding it. No, no, it was, yeah, because um, as soon as I, because I'm just someone who's geared towards instrumentals anyway, I really love instrumental music, and this was kind of one of the first things that I listened to, and it just caught my ear since, and um, the next track as well is a pretty mouthwatering proposition, this is, um, now, 
Who are they? what's how do you pronounce these guys' names, Dave? This is Death of the Sun. I think it's Sirif Ungle. <laughs> It was something like that. It was Sirith Ungol, but I wasn't sure. Uh, when I did a little bit dig around, you'd find bits on them, but nothing major. I couldn't find anybody describing the name, or I didn't really look into what no, it means. No, no. Um, what's interesting, though, we, I, I should have checked this because, interestingly, um, 12,000 Spotify streams, by the way, they're still going. Um, and they were formed in the late 70, sorry, in late 71. So they've been going for Ooh. 10 years by this point. More than 10 years when they were f- featured on Metal Massacre. And they are Power known. Of metal. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They're known for their lyrics based on fantasy, sword and sorcery. And if you see the album that this is featured on, it's an incredible album cover where it's kind of a Dungeons and Dragons casebook sort of thing where there's a knight and he's flanked by these demons and he's standing on a pot of gold. And there's this giant skeleton just coming out of the mist approaching him. And they actually got their name, which again, is it Sirif Ungle? I'm not sure, um, from Tolkien. So it means spider's cleft. And it's apparently one of the big towers in the t- the series. Like, I'm not too up on my, my rings mythology, but um, it appears in loads of the games as well. And apparently in the Return of the King video game, uh, if you play as Sam, you have to kill 80 orcs and then you can pr- progress to Sirith Ungle and rescue Frodo. So um, that's a little bit of history on that. But I really like this one as well. I think the riff is punishing and dissonant and the bass is really investigative and fact finding and the singer sounds like a twisted Axl Rose like like it has a real kind of confrontational aspect to it. He's got a very powerful screech to him and you're Mm. right about the bass there's a lot of movement in the the bass real, real movement, yeah Again, a surprise when you're listening to their songs, you're not expecting something like that, bassline wise. And you're like, oh, yeah, you're expecting root notes, aren't you? You're not expecting Cliff Burton type stuff. You're, yeah, you're just expecting something quite loyal. But the riff is crazy. The riff um, reminds me a lot of the weight, um, but it's like really like Sabbathy and just fucking dominant. And yeah, Death of the Sun. I actually really love this one as well. I like that if uh, this compilation was like a ten of quality street, I'd give that the green triangle. Hit <laughs> lights is a purple one, but that's the green triangle. Yeah. 
<laughs> and uh, there's there's a, the riff kind of in the middle as well, where there's, there's a searing solo that kind of bubbles up, and um, you know, again, guys, there's some there's some gems on here. I, 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 gems is maybe a little bit too um, too giving there, but but still some interesting stuff, and this definitely stuck out as well. It's not like what I will say, Dave, is you know, it, it, it's metal metal massacre. But it kind of it kind of spans the board, doesn't it? It's certainly not pigeonholed into. It's not one type of metal across ten tracks. It really is a kind of panoramic display of this genre. It's everything metal is. It's good. It reminds mm. me of them Kerrang the Kerrang compilations because you know you're not just getting straight heavy metal or death or black or yeah. doom. There's a bit of everything. You're like, oh, I'll have, I'll have some of these, but maybe not all. But maybe a couple. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And uh, we push on now to the seventh track. This is, um, I mean, of course they're called Demon Flight. It just makes sense. The song's called Dead of the Night. This is a um, quite a short song, and there's quite a bit of interesting history with this band, Dave. So, um, Demon Flight were, um, by the way, very tough to find uh, online anything about this band, probably because their name is just, you know, there's probably lots of bands um, called this, yeah. but they're not on um, Spotify. You know, there's no way to stream this band or anything like that, so I haven't got any of those um, data for them. But they were an early signing of Metal Blade. And um, Brian Slagle apparently was really close friends with them. And they were apparently um, had ties to Zappa. I know you're a big Zappa fan. And they were three L.A. studio musicians who worked with Zappa. Um, Rick Gerard, uh, H. Michael Asuna and Rick White. And their only known recording was a free song EP called Flight of the Demon. And it was one of Metal Blade's very first releases. And, you know, apparently it's quite sought after in some scenes and that idea. But, um, yeah, it's interesting to consider the song in that light, isn't it? Where, unlike, say, Death of the Sun or Malice or something, which is quite sincere, I think this is almost trying to be a parody. And then when you listen to the... You know, the real sort of false set of vocals and the riffs and stuff. It, it kind of makes sense in that in that paradigm, right? Yeah, especially when you find out the Zappa connection, you're like, that's what it is. Yeah. Because you know there's something, there's something about it that's, although it could be a parody, and it, it probably is a piss take, there's, it's performed well enough for them to be fans of the actual art. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense. No, definitely. The Zappa definitely. connection itself, it, it, exactly. It does exactly what you'd think when you put it together with Zappa, because I didn't, wasn't fully aware of that until you said earlier. I was like, huh. Yeah, weird, right? Pondering it, yeah, because I like Zappa. Very, 
Right? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Love fucking love Zappa, and um, the vocals as well have a kind of. They're kind of drained out. Um, the riff is called bam ba da bam ba da You know, it's a bit of a headbanger. Like, you know, they're, they're kind of being quite faithful to the blueprints there. But the vocals in this one, guys, like, again, I'm sure you've heard a clip of that. Quite haunting. Um, quite drained and ethereal. And this is another track that um, I find interesting. I'm maybe not quite as much endeared to it as the others. And that's not because of its kind of jokey thing, but I just think it's fucking cool again. Not only that Metallica and Rat were on some ink, but um, Zappa's cronies were also taking the piss on the same uh, album. I mean, it's blown me away, mate, because I thought I knew like everything about Zappa. I know like the wee mm-hmm. bits here, this guy played, but didn't know that. And I was looking for stuff on a band and never came across that. So I've not Googled correctly. I know, I know, it's weird, isn't it? Yeah, all music is your friend. I like, I like reading all the all music reviews. That's where I mostly got that from. But um, yeah, there's a few rumors knocking about here and there, and then towards the end of the song, it, it barrels up and you know races towards quite a nice flashy ending. And you know, thinking like the end of like um, I don't know, Call of Cthulhu or something like this. The, uh, metal songs always end quite grandly and with quite a sort of you know pantomime flourish. And yeah. uh, this, this certainly, this definitely, certainly does that. So um, we. We push now into the next song. This is a fighting backwards by Pandemonium. direction here um a bit more languid you know a bit more kind of catchy a bit more of an appeal to the audience i think a bit more sing-along yeah this is an arena band for sure definitely i'm fighting backwards like yeah they they, they fighting want you to backwards get in on that. itself it's just mm-hmm. i love that for a song name fighting backwards fighting backwards it's got kind of a sabbath like groove coming in quite a pleasant voice you know we're, we're very far from uh hetfield's uh prepubescence on the vocals here and um yeah it has quite a nice kind of kind of move to it apparently the band originally were called demon and they realized quickly <laughs> that even in the late 70s there are a lot of fucking bands called demon so yeah. they added uh, pan and eum they came pandemonium pandemonium and um which by the way was um uh, coined by john milton um i learned recently the word pandemonium um the you know the guy from paradise lost and stuff and the Ooh. idea is pan being everything uh, it's kind of a realm that is run by satan so to pan demon so you know demons everywhere pandemonium yeah, so like a, which a i think demon's realm 
yeah, Demon's Round, which is quite cool. And they are probably most famous for obviously being fighting backwards on Metal Massacre. They're also on um, another compilation called Total Destruction, uh, which is in yes. 1984. And they're also on another compilation. Uh, they did a song called Evil Face on L.A. Steel, which is... Evil uh, I love that. Yeah, Evil Face. That's my new job in life. I'm going to start a band who's only on compilations. <laughs> we only do other people's albums <laughs> so uh definitely go check out evil face which is on uh green world records which you mentioned before which is one of you know one of the printing uh plants or whatever distribution that um pandemonium Slate... from portland my remember correctly um it's, i think they're this... from I, I there's loads of pandemoniums out there i think i think this one's from alaska i think originally um there's a couple of bands from portland and i was surprised at that too i was like i thought it was going to be all like LA Metal, but there's like Alaska, yeah. there's Portland, there's a bit of everything. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah, you're right. There is a lot of variety over here. And um, there's kind of a warbly solo carving forward that's quite ambitious in the middle. And, um, you know, I, I mentioned before that it felt quite stadium and mainstream because it does what a lot of songs will eventually do when they're trying to gain the masses you know after the solo when songs just go down to the bass and the singer and maybe a little bit of drums and then it all comes <laughs> crashing back <laughs> fighting backwards like you know the, 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 this is what happens on this song and the gang vocals on this are terrible like I don't quite know what it was it just sounds like the band weren't interested or they're not mic'd correctly because all of this is recorded so rudimentary of course it's not gonna have that kind of desmond child like kind of you know big waller sound kind of idea but but yeah and the guy kind of has this robert plant like croon towards the end kind of bomb scotty like i'm going down like that kind of idea but um but 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 yeah again fighting backwards not a terrible track it's not terrible it's not the best of the album but it's listenable it's catchy it's catchy it's catchy and uh just before we get to the main attraction. We have the penultimate song here, which is again by Malice that we mentioned before. Kick You Down by Malice, Dave. What, what did you make of this? I wasn't as big a fan of this. No. Like, this is a band I was remembering from Portland. Uh, mm-hmm. They're from Oregon. And I didn't dislike them. Mm-hmm. But I didn't enjoy them as much as I thought it was going to this time. Because we had the first offering, you know? Like, they've just been here. Yeah. We had talked a bit late earlier. This is a bit for me. I didn't enjoy it as much, and I ended up skipping it. But I did go back, and I did listen. And I want to take something positive for it. And for me, I think the bass, although it's it's not as clear as a recording that you want of a song like that. Mm-hmm. But it's there, and the bass for me saves it. Yeah, yeah. I, I It's, um, you know, I, in an ideal world, obviously, I would have preferred maybe another Avatar instrumental here. Or maybe maybe another bitch song or something, but I like I actually probably prefer this to the first Malice track, and that is because uh, okay. you mentioned the bass before, definitely the bass. But I love the lead break then, wow now 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 wow now, like it has kind of a null to it, and it le- it goes throughout the song. Um, you know, it, it's coating a lot of the compositions there. Again, the singer isn't bad; he has a very Bruce Dickinson type of sweep so, to him. 
you prefer Kick You Down to Captive of the Light? Maybe. Maybe. I'd need to sort of compare and contrast, you know, in the cold light of day. But I just, I, do, I like the intro, certainly, to Kick You Down a bit more. Kick You Down's a bit longer, though, and it maybe suffers for yeah. that. But, um, but, 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 yeah, again, this isn't one of the ones that I think is one of the treasures of Metal Massacre or anything like this. It is a little Aww. bit cookie clutter. But, but I do like the lead breaks um, that run throughout Kick You Down, yeah. Yeah, the fact that we're trying to directly compare it to the other offer and shows you that it's worth being there, like it's got its place, but mm-hmm. it's just, I don't know, I think it's a bit weak for the end of the album, for me. Yeah. But I don't, yeah, I don't yeah. think they structured it like an album, though. I think they just put on, like, ten songs. They just want to hear those ten songs. Oh, no, 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 they, no, they definitely did. No, they definitely did, because, I mean, yeah, that brings us to Hit the Lights. So there are two different versions of Hit the Lights on here. There is the original version where there are three musicians on it. So James is playing rhythm guitar, bass and vocals. Lars is on drums and Lloyd Grant is on guitar solo. And then there's Mm -hmm. a second version uh, where we have Ron McGovney on bass and Mustaine on the lead break. So a little bit of context. Obviously, Lars was in the scene, the tape trading scene. He knew all the movers and shakers. You know, he he was kind of just, just kind of really in it you know he just had his finger on the pulse and he knew Slagle and he knew Metal Blade and he knew that he was putting a compilation together and he had basically gotten a promise from Slagle that if he could get a song together it would go on the compilation and you say about sequencing before that's the reason because you know when you look back in hindsight, you're like, oh, the, you know, they put Metallica last because it was building up to Metallica. Da, da, da. It's like Metallica were fucking nobody. Like, Sirif Ungle have been over 10 years at this point. You know what I mean? The reason it's last is because it was given to Slagle literally as they were putting it onto tape in the studio. It, it, they're about to go. So basically, time was running out in the studio. You know, Lars had been told um, that he had to get it to, I think it was Bijou Studios, B-I-J-O, you in Hollywood. And if Lars missed the deadline, then he wouldn't get there. So apparently Slagle had told him that he had to get there by free on the day. And Lars arrived by free on the day. Uh, The master engineer was there as well, a guy called Joe Borgia. So Lars has the tape in his hand of the original Hit the Lights with um, him and James and Lloyd. And uh, Lars didn't realize that you needed $50 to cover the cost because again this wasn't like he was going to a studio and they were pressing play it was like they were just transferring the tape um the track to two inch audio tape so he begged slagle and john cornans for money and apparently john cornans opened his wallet and he had 52 dollars in cash and lars snatched it and lars promised um that obviously paying back which he did and they all sat back and listened as he hit record and he went on the reel-to-reel machine and it got put onto the thing and um apparently lars said to john quote you're going to be known as John 50 Bucks Cornerhuns on every Metallica <laughs> release in the future, which is great. And that's just, you know, Lars's kind of nature is, um, he, 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 you know, he gets things done. Like, you know, even in that moment of desperation, that moment of isolation. But it should be said, what's interesting is hit the lights hadn't been recorded until the day before Lars actually got the tape and actually did stuff in the morning as well so it was recorded on a borrowed TEAC 4 track uh, Hetfield doing rhythm and bass and it was the morning of the deadline that they needed the lead breaks Um, they didn't have anyone Uh, you know Hetfield wasn't really that sort of player so basically, Lars called on a gifted Jamaican guitarist called Lloyd Grant, who was apparently James's guitar teacher at some time, and Lars had jammed with him as well for a recycler ad. And this is what Hetfield said. 
Quote, he was a cool guy with a great, this is um, in terms of Lloyd Grant, he was a cool guy with a great attitude and he could really shred, but he couldn't play rhythm guitar, which was really strange. So on the way to dropping our tape off to Brian, we stopped off at his house, he threw down a solo and off we went, and that was it for him. And Lars says, he's really talented, he's like a black Michael Schenker. There were problems with people because of the fact that Lloyd was black, but to me, he was just a great guitar player. It didn't matter if he was black, green, yellow, or purple. I just hope something can happen with his band because he really deserves it. So, um, so yeah, guys, that's what you're hearing um, on the original original is Lloyd Grant's playing and Dave talk to me about hit the lights in general recording to the killable recording that we all know and love well obviously it's super primitive it's like mm. the most rudimentary hit the lights like nowadays when you hit the lights the lights are hit this is just like someone's <laughs> hit the light bulb with a spoon Dim the lights, yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. turn the light mm-hmm. off but, i mean you can see where they're going down, you yeah. can see where the ambition is like yeah. you know what they want to do mm-hmm. and to know where they went from that when you go back and listen to this it's kind of like good for them like they stuck to their roots and as equipment got better and they learned, they became the band they were today. And I think, for me, like, we know it's the reason we're listening to the album, and it is, but it is genuinely the best track on the album. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But I don't like the, the third pressing as much as I like the first. The second is okay, but there's bits of it. I wish they could piece together parts of all three of the first recordings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and make like yeah. one ultimate like super version of it but we have a super version of it now so we don't need to do that yeah, yeah, no, no, I, I, t- I totally agree. And yeah, I think it's the, it's definitely the best song. It is the best song. I mean, of course we're going to say it's the best song, but, but you know, it's, it's fucking hit the not, lights. Not even it, being biased, it's banging. No, 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 it fucking, yeah, compositionally, it works. It's got that groovy swing. It's not necessarily got that weaponized chug that Hetfield would perfect. It's kind of more in the mold of this kind of metal, almost with a little bit of glam in it, but it is still heavy as hell. Um, but despite being the best song in terms of writing, it's it's certainly the worst recorded though. Like it oh, pales yeah. in, like like when you when you listen to rap, when you listen to Tell the World, or you listen to Death of the Sun, or even Live for the Whip, you know those are actual produced songs. But as we said before. This is on a four track, like this is on a nothing thing with a guitar player thrown in at the last minute, and it just it it's a bit flinty, isn't it? It's a bit flimsy, I suppose, in terms of the fidelity. I think it adds character to it, though. Yeah, and yeah, that's way, fair. And when you learn the story, and you find out it's like last minute, and like they took the fifty-seven bucks at the guy's hand, and they turned in that with like everything they had, and now they're like 
the Metallica we're listening to and talk about now. We go to the cinema to see them play. Yeah, that's that band. Like we're paying to get into cinemas to watch mm-hmm. recordings of them play. But uh, for me, I think the best bit is Hetfield's still young enough to think that he's like a sex symbol. So when you look at pictures of Hetfield back then, he's bare chested with his leather vest, and you can hear oh, his yeah. voice like he wants to be the guy. He's all machismo, and I love it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He's and, still uh... growing though. He's just a lad, but he's still growing. There is a hipster camp out there on the forums, in the comments. And guys, I understand where you're coming from, but I have to disagree. There are people out there that are like, oh, um, Lloyd, Lloyd Grant Solo, the best, better than Mustaine. I'm like, no, no, no. I'm like, I'm like fucking the original Kill em All, like Mustaine's leads. Like, they've just got a whip and a sizzle yeah. to them. The, the, like, I don't mind Lloyd Grant's playing on this, but I don't think it's necessarily... Like, it, it does the work, and it's, it's certainly up there with any solo on Metal Massacre, but, you know, most of the Metal Massacre solos are fast and flashy, but they don't really hit you anywhere, you know? Well, the way I like that too is... Uh... Mustaine's is it's the version Mustaine doesn't play a guitar he plays a ray gun like we've said it before he sounds like he's fighting an alien or zapping a ghostbuster into that big thing he plays a weapon Lloyd's mm-hmm. is great and that's good for the purist but purists are going to argue till the day they die over what guitar strings sound best and what recording and that's good mm-hmm. I'm glad there's camps for that but they're wrong yeah yeah and you know what was really fucking cool as well um i don't know if you saw this but when metallica did the uh the 30th anniversary shows and they brought up everyone and you know they had like newstead there and they had like yeah. king diamond and all that sort of stuff uh they brought lloyd grant on stage and they yes. did hit the lights with his stuff which i thought was just fucking incredible and lloyd grant by the way i mean look Obviously, Metal, your podcast, are the bigger podcasts, and they can just get whoever they want in Metallica World. I have reached out to him. He does have the cheapest-looking website I've ever seen. It looks straight out of AOL dial-up, like, pre-Clinton's election. Yes. Like, it's crazy. Like, you know, it's a real sort of throwback. And I've sent him messages, and I've asked him a few times, come on the show, please, let's talk about this stuff. But um, I don't think he's shy with press or anything, but maybe he's not got them. But I do want to speak to him. Now, that is Hit the Lights. And, you know, the rest is fucking history. I don't need to tell you that. But what whilst most people might not know about Metal Masker, if you do know one thing about Metal Masker, you know, as I mentioned before, that on the first printing, it was spelled as Metallica. So there were two T's on there. And okay. Brian Slagle was interviewed about this whole debacle. And he said the following. I was already pulling a million favours to assemble this compilation record. I couldn't possibly focus on every detail all the time. I just wanted it to exist. The girl who agreed to do all the typesetting, who also did the typesetting for the fanzine, was doing everything for free. And in those days, someone had to sit and laboriously put the letter block together in preparation for the actual printing process. Lars had literally given me everything at the last minute, the name of the band, the song, and everything else. When I gave it all to the typesetter, and because the word Metallica didn't exist in the English language at the time, she somehow felt that the word should be spelled in a different way it was so desperately late i had no reference of which to approve it so we just went with it after the record went to press i looked to the back of it and my heart sank it was spelled m-e-t-t-a-l oh excuse me it was spelled yeah it was spelled (laughs) m-e it was spelled m-e-t-t-a-l-l-i-c-a at that point there was nothing whatsoever i could do about it it was one of the many rookie errors i'd make and um 
There's some quote as well about Lars seeing it and him being absolutely gutted because obviously image is so important and that idea of being a sort of cohesive front. And within half hour of it coming out, he was on the phone to Brian. And, you know, and they did get it reprinted. But yeah. it's just a kind of, like, funny little thing, isn't it? Like, that that of all the bands on there, like, I guess, because it wasn't a thing. It wasn't established in any sort of lexicon. So I don't necessarily blame the typesetter. But at the same time, that's the most Lars story I've ever heard. Because when you hear all Lars stories and you hear like what he does and like him going out like drinking with comics and walking on cars and just being Lars. Being Lars, yeah. You know he's just pulling his little sweatband off back then. <laughs> he's just enraged. Dialing <laughs> the rotary phone like this motherfucker. <laughs> and you know, Growling. beyond Beyond uh, beyond Metallica, uh, there were loads more metal massacres. In fact, there have been 14 of them up to 2016. Yes. So they continue through the 80s, Dave. And, you know, most interestingly in terms of Metallica, Trauma were on the second one with a song called Such a Shame, which we'll just hear from now. And this is, of course, Cliff. Cliff was on here. So, you know, when the guys were putting together Kill 'em All, Cliff Burton was on the uh, second Metal Massacre. Crazy, right? It's the, the weird connections from Metallica to other artists that they end up working with down the road. Mm-hmm. Phenomenal. And yeah. you hear how many artists have been connected to it and how close they were. Like, they're on one, he's on two. Like, And yeah. then they, they used to go around San Francisco with different dudes from Primus and then Les Claypool auditioned and then ah, it's just there's so many things that are just sort of like ah it's too close for it not supposed to happen mm-hmm, do you know what mm-hmm. I mean yeah Slagle actually spoke about this he was speaking about because you know he was um, you know one of the reasons that Cliff got into the band to- told Lars about Cliff existing he said quote um, I think the blind date analogy is good because that's pretty much the way it happened with Cliff he was in the band called Trauma who we put on Metal Massacre 2 they came down to LA to play we thought the band was okay but the bass player was incredible a little while after that Lars said they were looking for a new bass player and we mentioned this guy Cliff he went onto the show and typical Lars he said that guy's going to be my bass player and uh, Slagle also talked about the track listing ideas on Metal Massacre so um, the track Track listing of Metal Massacre depends on which pressing of the album you own. If you bought one of the original first press LPs in 1982, the album opens with Cold Day in Hell by Steeler. By the time Metal Blade had sold the initial pressing of 5,000 copies, however, Steeler had gotten a major label deal and they requested that they be removed from future editions. Their slot was filled by Black and Blue's Chains Around Heaven. An early version of Tell the World by future hair metal titans Rat was on the first and second pressings, but was subsequently pulled for the same reason. And um, finally, Dave, what do you make of the album? album artwork have you got a chance to look at that of uh, the metal massacre yeah i i like it because of the type of album it is the record yeah. label it was from it's very of its kind at the same time but it's very unique still because mm-hmm. when you look at albums and compilation albums specifically the artwork's famous and terrible it's usually yeah. the worst like VHSs, there should be a coffee table book. It's like the worst thrash album cover. I'm sure there is. Yeah, yeah, that would like be great. Said, yeah, robot knights on horses, and you've mm-hmm, got mm-hmm. people fighting aliens and doing all different kinds of stuff. But yep, this is yep, just yep. basic. It's dark. It speaks for itself. It just it's pretty rudimentary, but it, it does it. Yeah, it works. It does work, and it's not too cheesy. So, for people who are not aware, it's black and white. In the top left, we've got the new Heavy Metal Review Presents, which is the the fanzine that Slagle um, authored, uh, Metal Massacre. 
and kind of the it's almost a cartoony-ish font for Metal Massacre uh, all in capitals and sort of scorn across like you know the E's and the A's are kind of slashed but the artwork itself is bubbling lava uh, you know, as if it just came out from the top of a volcano, and amidst the white hot haze are skulls <laughs> in various forms of disarray, and that's it. That's what it's it is. It doesn't have any nasty, names. Man. Yeah, it is. It doesn't have anything on there. And then on the back cover, um, you know, we have uh, who the bands are, and that is, of course, the famous ones where we have Metallica misspelled and stuff like that. Now, I'm not really in the world of, like, vinyl collecting and stuff like that, but you've got to imagine that a first pressing with the misprint of Metallica must go for a lot of money. It's got to, but I don't think it's one of those things you would sell. No. Like, it's one of those things you would keep. Yeah, yeah. I, I, like, I like a vinyl myself, but I don't even think that's something I would look for, because I know if there was one for sale, the person who's selling it isn't oblivious to what it is like it's not going to be one of them hidden gems you pick up for a fiver no oh god no oh god no and uh yeah on the back it has the metal mask review has more skulls um it has you know side one side two and it's telling you who's on all the records and uh yeah at the back there they've got rom oh this is the later edition that's now and interestingly on the metallica one it says now on metal mega force records and it tells you all the record labels that all the bands are on and then in the thank yous at the bottom it's got executive producer brian slagle assistant producer john cornerans uh mastered by joe borgia that we mentioned before at the bid you oh here we go Album cover design and production, Elaine offers. So she would have won, oh. been the one who uh, butchered the typesetting there. Uh, oh, thanks to Steeler and Rat, who originally appeared on this album. And then thanks to uh, everyone, the musicians, the engineers, and you even. 1982, Metal Blade Records, all rights reserved. I mean, Dave, that was um, that was fun, man. That's a piece of history right there, Metal Massacre Volume 1. I think it's beautiful for what it is when you look back at I'm kind of envious at the time though, because we don't get stuff like that now. We get like oh, God, no. some we get Spotify playlists and yeah, yeah, some fucking tool curates a Spotify playlist. <laughs> Ultimate metal to clean your car too, and I'm like, fuck, <laughs> mate. Like this is put together by people that are in bands. They wanted to show their music off. It's very braggadocious, and I like that. Even the songs I don't mm-hmm. like, I admire the band for being like, you know what, fuck you, we're we're the yeah. business. Take that, this yeah. Is, this is early as well. Like, metal's not going to explode until, well, until Master of Puppets, really, until the mid-80s. Like, this is this is a lot, you know, okay, we've had, like, Sabbath and stuff like that, but kind of the Fresh era is very much still burgeoning. I think that's where the connection between you and me comes in, too, because as well as hip-hop and that type of metal, they have that both attitude. Like, if, if you won't do it for us, not only are we going to do it ourselves, yeah. but we're going to show you what we're doing as we do it. Here's the best thing you've ever seen trying to stop it happening. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So, just the um, self-belief yeah yeah exactly that sense of sovereignty is unparalleled and we'll, we'll yeah. discount we'll discount Metallica um, so the remaining nine songs well technically ten because we've got Chains Around Heaven uh, on the other press as well what is your favourite out of interest uh, Rat or Love for the Whip Rat okay nice yeah the, the, I, Live for the Whip has grown on me the more we discussed it yeah um, I really like Rat as well I'll probably personally go uh, Octave the instrumental really like that and if I have to go for a song song Oh, I do really like Death of the Sun by Siri Death Uncle. of the Just Sun is good. It's it's like it's like death metal. It's not thrash at all. It's doomy as fuck. Like. It's, it's got that power groove too. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That's a shout. So, yeah, actually, yeah. Take Rat right away, put that in. Death of the Sun. <laughs> 
So, uh, so yeah, guys, you know, go find this out. We'll put a link down below. We've, we played clips for all the songs, so you've got an idea. But if you want to listen to the full thing in sequence, you can get it on YouTube. I'm sure you can get vinyls as well. It's not really on Spotify. I tried to make my own Spotify playlist of all the tracks on here, and only four of them are available. So if you're listening on streaming services, you will be able to get Cold Day in Hell, Live for the Whip, uh, Tell the World, and Death of the Sun. But there is a cool um, Spotify playlist that I found just called Metal Massacre that collects all that's available of all the metal massacres over the years so um you know subsequently yeah if you go on youtube mate you can find the video on official channels and unofficial full albums and single tracks okay okay yeah i mean yeah you you guys you guys know how to do this oh oh, another thing i wanted to mention as well um you know bands like like on the second one we have trauma we have armored saint you also have a band closing it the 12th track called heavy metal virgin by a band (laughs) called aloha which featured one of my favorite guitar players ever marty friedman who would later be in cacophony and you know he would he would be the ultimate right hand man to dave mustaine the 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 friedman era of megadeth is the best era um and uh Oh, um, Metal Massacre Free, Dave, 1983, Slayer Open, and your um, your girl's bitch there, Riding in Thunder, they're back. Hell yeah, Riding in Thunder. You know, riding Metal Massacres that came and came after, you look at the bands that have been on it, we are talking about earlier, you've got your Slayers, you've got your Voivods, you've got, mm-hmm. there's a bit of everything for everyone. If you're a metal fan, stick one on and find something, because you'll find one band or a riff that you'll keep for a while. It's worth it. <laughs> And it's interesting because I'm looking at them all now on Wikipedia. There's a great article that goes through all the history. And obviously on Wikipedia, if there's a link to something, it's blue. But if there's yeah. not, you can't click on anything. And going through, there's obviously loads of bands you can't click on. You can't click on uh, August Red Moon. You can't click True. on Future Tense. But like you say, Voivod's on number five. Uh, Metal Church, Fate's Warning are on there. Oof. Possessed, Halloween, Flot- Flotsam and Jetsam. I don't there know if go. Jason was in the band at that time. Maybe um, 1986, well, yeah. He most likely was. There's three bands he's been in on Metal Massacre. Metallica, Voivod, and Flotsam. All three of them have been on Metal Massacre. Damn, it's interesting though. The further you go into the 80s, the less blue links to click on. 1988, just one. A band called Toxic. T-O-X-I-K. So I don't know who the fuck they are. But um, yeah, guys. Metal Massacre. This has been really fun going through this, getting into all these songs. Hopefully we've turned you on some music you weren't aware of or just, you know, elucidated some more uh, dark corners of Metallica's history that, um, you know, have. Uh, there's some cool books out there as well. There's a book by Brian Slagle on the history of Metal Blade Records that I definitely want to get my hands on. I'm sure he will, uh, you know, extrapolate further on this sequence of records. But Dave, this has been a treat, man. I guess finally, is there anything you'd like to promote yourself or... Check out Tom, bombard him with messages, get him to get on the podcast game more because he's good at what he does, and listen to more metal. I appreciate it, man. And, you know, I want to push people to go back and check out all our old chats in the past as well. Um, As I mentioned before, you know, we discussed everything from Bad Seed to Moscow 91 to the MTV Icon. Dave has also been on my other podcast, my Battle Rap Resume podcast. So if you want to hear me and Dave go long form on hip hop records, we have discussed Kruger's Lazy EP and C Major's 10,000 Hours. Those are more obscure than Metal Massacre. We need to get... We need to get Lunar's new album done. I'm telling yes. you. Yes, yes, definitely, absolutely, definitely. So if you want to hear us going on some underground hip hop, definitely go on to BRR and check that out. And we've also got an episode where we just talk about battle rap and music and stuff like that. So um, yeah, always great to chat to you, man. So this has been you know a treat, 
as it always, always is. And again, guys, finally, just follow us at MetallicaPod, MetallicaPod.gmail.com. Leave us a review on iTunes. If you enjoy the content, you want to give back to the show, help support us on Patreon. We've got loads of cool stuff coming up on the show. I'm trying to think now, because this episode will be coming out essentially in 2020. So we're working on a lot of stuff. By the time you'll hear this, um, myself and Jack would have worked on a giant Jason Newstead episode. Um, what day? So well that's that's going to be out i'll send you a link i'll send you a rough link to that so you can listen yeah. before but we're basically aiming to go about three hours and we're going you know we're going to go deep deep we're going to go on like what's the name of his fucking ponies that he has a child oh. i know their names like you know what i mean i know all the bands he was in and we're going to talk about all the proper jason episode episode proper jason episode Ooh. proper jason episode yeah and um because that's what i want to do now i, I know we've not really discussed this before but now that i've finished uh, the whole run i want to just do big big episodes on all the band members and i was yeah. thinking who do i want to do next because i'm you know knee deep in jason now and you know i was thinking even though i, I know it's kind of he's tangentially related even though he's very important to the story i want to do a big fuck off episode on dave mustaine yeah you do mm-hmm I think I just, I, I'm, I'm fascinated by that asshole. Like, how can you? Mustaine is the most. He's like a mythical, magical metal <laughs> wizard. He's overdosed on everything. He's survived everything. He's had everything. He's fucking been cured of everything. And he's still he was going. He, and he was on Metal Massacre. Yeah, mate. The later pressings probably still would be on it if the release yeah. one now. We probably go on it. You can't keep him out of the studio sometimes. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And I could definitely imagine, by the way, in this post-Record Store Day world, if they re-released Metal Massacre on vinyl, that would be so popular, wouldn't it? Have you seen Where Sells vinyl, Tom? I haven't, no. I was in Asda, and they do the top 40 in music and the top 20 in vinyl, uh, like, but not the charts, the actual top 20 in sales. So it's like Foo Fighters, uh, Nirvana, obligatory oh, cool. waste of shit they sell vinyl yeah, that has yeah. the tesco scenes everywhere sells vinyl now damn damn if yeah if i was to get a metal massacre in fucking sainsbury's then I, i'm done i think i think that's I think, the peak of life right there for me metal massacre you ever see that thing that came out around last christmas where you got it every two weeks you go pay 20 quid and you get a reprint of a beatles lp 108 gram vinyl and a book oh, about yeah it. yeah i remember that yeah, yeah yeah if they did a single for each track from the Metal Massacre, you could mail order and get a book about the band, a book about the track, oh, and a little God. replica single. That'd be dope. Well, you know, guys, uh, if you're listening, the people look about this happen. I'm sure you're not, but uh, <laughs> yeah, if we want to, want to just encourage you, dear listeners, go out and listen to Metal Massacre. Obviously, listen to Hit the Lights and Lloyd Grant's lead breaks, and appreciate where this band came from and what they became, but. All the other stuff out there as well. You know, I might just dig into other Metal Massacres because you never know what you're going to might find. You might find your Death of the Sun. You might find Bitch. You might find whatever. But um, Dave, we'll wrap it up there. Thank you as always, man. Been great. Loved it, man. Yeah.